you found the Speech Uncensored podcast. Welcome to a place where you can nourish your brain with medical SLP awesomeness, be entertained, at least mildly, and join a community of professionals who seek to enhance our impact in the medical setting. I'm Leanne Porter, an overly enthusiastic medical SLP with aspirations of making a difference. Let's see if that happens. <laughs> Today's episode features Dr. Joy Musser, and we're taking a holistic look at voice feminization therapy. So let's get cracking and dive into the material. All right. Hello and welcome to the Speech Uncensored podcast. I'm Leanne, your host, and I am so thrilled to be sitting down with Joy Musser today to talk about um, our topic. And we just came up with a really awesome title, so I'm really excited to say it. <laughs> We're gonna. Our title is More Than Pitch, A Holistic Approach to Voice Feminization. Hello, Joy. Hello, Leanne. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. This has been awesome. I've really enjoyed sitting down and talking with you and kind of formulating everything that we were going to discuss today um, because there are so many avenues that you can go down. And so it was kind of like, which one of those will we pick today? I know there's so much to talk about on this topic. So we'll try to fit it all in. Super. All right, Joy. Um, you know what? Yeah, I didn't do a very good job of introducing you. Let me back up. Let me start again. Everybody, I'd like to introduce you to Dr. Joy Musser. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I am a voice pathologist. I specialize in voice feminization for the trans female population. So for you listeners, that's uh, male to female transgendering individuals. Um, sometimes they're referred to as male assigned at birth or male to female TG. So you'll see it a couple of different ways, but it's basically a program for transitioning individuals to be able to present more feminine. All right. Now you didn't start right out of the gate working in voice even. My path has been a, a great one. I've actually always been interested in voice. And so I, going back to like undergrad, I was the double major in music and became really interested in kind of the overlap between voice and music and voice and performance. So towards the end of my undergrad, I started just sitting in on voice lessons and acting lessons, and it really helped me shape what I wanted to kind of pursue. Um, so by the time I was looking at graduate programs, I really was interested in programs that had a strong voice component, both with the courses taught and research, but also those externship type things. So I was really lucky, found a great um, graduate program that had everything I was looking for and got there and just threw myself headfirst into voice um, got as much as I could. I had luckily had my student teaching out of the way, which is something I quickly discovered I was not interested in doing, um, which freed me up for a couple extra semesters to get some time um, in a private voice clinic. And from there, it just really kind of affirmed that that was what I wanted to specialize in. Um, so fast forward to the CF, I got a CF in voice only. I was able to 
get a position at the Vanderbilt Voice Center in Nashville, Tennessee. And so it was just all voice. Nice. Day day in, day out, all voice. I just I was in my heyday. So my first clinical um, work after that point was at an ENT practice. And that's where I really got the bulk of my voice experience. And, you know, going back to the first externship experiences, that's when I was first introduced to transgender voice um, Mm -hmm. in terms of that it was something that we did. And so this is a, (laughs) this is going back a while. So, and it was in, you know, kind of Midwestern, small, more conservative cities, but it was, it was still there. And so I was lucky to kind of get that exposure early on. So I worked in an ENT setting um, for several years never planned to go back and get a PhD, but uh, (laughs) it, it just worked out that way. And so when I went back, I was very, very focused. I, I took all the courses that would, you know, kind of complement my interests and really, really focused on voice and head and neck um, and the neuro involved in all of that. What made you decide to go back and get your PhD? Once I worked in the field for a little bit, um, I had a wonderful mentor and I had, this is going to sound really geeky, but it's the truth. I started having all these fun ideas for research projects and I had done, we had the option in my graduate program to do a master's thesis and I remember being strongly encouraged to take it um, and it was always you know, if you ever want to go back for a PhD, you really should take the thesis track. And I went, thank you very much. I'll be getting my, you know, C's and just carrying on my merry way. I have no interest in a PhD, but thanks all the same. Um, But then once I got working, I just had all these questions. And so I had a little notepad and the, the laryngologist and I would kind of bat around some different ideas. And I remember I had this terrific idea and I called my mentor from work and I said, hey, I have this really cool idea. The ENT's on board. I have all the data. What do you think? Would you want to go in on this project with me? And she said, Joy, get your butt back here. <laughs> do a PhD. Call that your dissertation. And stop calling me with these ideas. Just get back here already. Um, and so <laughs> that's kind of how it all happened. I just, I really never planned. I was so not interested in more schooling at that point. But um, that's exactly what I did. That that idea that I called her about ended up being my dissertation topic. So it, it's just been a, a really neat kind of journey for me. And um, are you still doing research? Not currently. No, I um, I feel happy that I had that experience. I have tons of data, but I'm not formally analyzing anything at this point. <laughs> um, just getting it published was, you know, trophy enough for me, I think. Um, so after that, then I, you know, I finished up, uh, a PhD. I had baby number one at that point, um, and came back. I was commuting by the way for my PhD. So when I say I came back, like I moved back home, which was nice, you know, I had to because of the baby at that point. Um, and so at that point, um, I was no longer at the ENT practice anymore. So I started teaching a little bit just to supplement, you know, being home, being a stay-at-home mom at that point. So that's really where I started kind of teaching at the university level, which I still do and I absolutely love. 
Um, and so now I actually teach, I'm an adjunct professor for three different schools, and I teach online courses at the undergraduate and graduate level um, for Purdue University and the University of Cincinnati, which is my alma mater, nice. and for a school here in Rochester, New York, where I live, called Nazareth College. So that sounds like you are very, very busy, Joy. Yes, 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 yes. So it's been it's been great. It's been really great. I really love teaching. Um, I'm passionate about it, and I think some of those same passions from teaching carry over to clinical. The clinical informs my teaching, and I just feel like it's a really nice combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds ideal. You're kind of living my life that I want someday. Like, I love the idea of teaching. Not a fan. I mean, I am a fan of research, but not my active role in it necessarily. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> um, tell me a little bit more about your patchwork quilt life. Oh, my patchwork quilt. So, and this is something I also tell my students. Even though, for example, I knew at the undergraduate level that I had a very specific interest in voice, um, I wouldn't recommend, I don't, I don't recommend the same things to my students, for example, in terms of I was so pigeonholed, I really, I really only wanted to do voice. And so when I found myself at a different life chapter a little farther down the road, I was not very well-rounded, I guess you could say. Um, So the patchwork quilt (laughs) ended up being more of just kind of life's changes in different chapters. Um, I couldn't do the full-time teaching because I also wanted to be home with my babies, which I have four. I'm a mom of four and twins to boot. So it was important to me that I could find jobs that could kind of fit with that. So I'll never forget some of my friends and colleagues, you know, when I got out of voice and you know my next job after that was in long-term care I was doing you know PRN work and they just laughed they were like what 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 are you gonna have to go back to school to remember like how to do that stuff and I said pretty much I mean here I am with a PhD but I had to go shadow (laughs) SLPs in those settings because I hadn't done that you know since graduate school so that was like the first piece of my patchwork. So I've, you know, I've got teaching on one little patch of quilt. And then I started with some PR run work simply because, as you all know, it it's very flexible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it pays well. And it allowed me to kind of have the work life home balance that I was seeking at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ended up doing a total 180. I did that for a couple of years. Um And then I became, um, I lived in Indiana at the time. And so their birth to three program is called First Steps. So then I switched because what I had never been interested in in the past, aka child language, like I did not, I just, I took the classes to get through it, but I was not interested in that until I had my own little developing child (laughs) and language to listen to. And then it became the most fascinating thing in the world. And I thought, oh my gosh. I want to learn more about this. Same thing. You know, here I am calling up, you know, former students of mine, to be honest with you, saying, could I come shadow you to kind of figure out what do you do? What does it look like? What do I need to know to be able to do this? And the program in Indiana at the time allowed for what's called independent providers. So 
I had the choice between uh, joining an agency um, to be a provider for the state or becoming an independent provider. Well, again, I've got, you know, lots of little babies home with me and I need to be setting my own hours. I was not ready for even part time. I think I was like a quarter time at first, just taking on a couple of clients here and there and coming home to feed and then going back out. Um, so that's actually when I started my private practice, my LLCs, and that was probably about 10 years ago. So that's another piece of my quilt. But, you know, I, I do like to say you don't have to stick with what you're going to do, and you may not even know what you'll end up doing. And I'm sure many of your listeners can relate to this. It's just, mm-hmm. it, but again, if you'd told me 20 years ago that I'd be doing voice feminization, I I wouldn't have seen that coming either. So it's just been a kind of a neat, a neat journey, but it all informs the other and you can switch at any time. And that's what I think is amazing about our field. I do too. Yeah. I love that flexibility. And I love that, um, you know, working moms can have that flexibility with different styles, like with the PRN or with early intervention, just being able to take a couple clients at a time or even starting your own private practice. And then you can set how frequently you work, how much you work and, things like that. So absolutely. Speaking of private practice, so you started your LLC for working with the early intervention group. And then how did that morph and change over time? So this is actually kind of a neat story. So I was doing um, the birth to three for a little bit. And then I went on maternity leave after I had my twins. Um, And I like to joke that I needed double the leave time because I had double the kiddos. Um, And while I was off on leave, I got a phone call from a colleague of mine at a nearby university and she said hey can I pick your brain I have a a voice client I want to ask you about and I said sure and as we got talking she she let me know that they had a transgender voice therapy clinic at this university but this client was calling from the town that I lived in and she said "Um, so you know this person is willing to drive four hours round trip to come to our clinic but that just seems you know silly could you see this person they live right there in your town and i said oh thank you so much for thinking of me i just had twins i don't know what day it is (laughs) nobody wants my services right now i'm not even sure of my own name right now so i said i you know but tell you what i will find give me a little bit and i will um come up with some referrals for you and i'll get back to you So I took the next couple of days and hit up all of my colleagues, called around all the different outpatient facilities, you know, asked different SLPs, hey, could you do this? Is this something? And I just, I got no after no after no. And I started going, okay, is this, and I lived in the second largest city in Indiana, in Fort Wayne. And I thought, is anybody out there doing this? And, and the answer was no. And what year was this? This was 2013, so just about six years ago. Mm -hmm. And I was just really surprised. Um, I had a couple SLPs saying, well, I've done a little um, voice therapy. I'd be willing to try or willing to learn. And as you know, um, or or maybe for the listeners out there, Voice therapy for transgender individuals is still largely private pay. So they are paying out of pocket. This isn't something yet covered by insurances. 
And I just thought, okay, that's, that's really not the best answer as, you know, I appreciated people's willingness to learn and to try, but this is a lot of money for this person. And here they are willing to drive to, you know, <laughs> these crazy distances to get it. So I called her back and I said, I'm really sorry. I struck out. And she said, could you see this person? <laughs> <laughs> and I knew that was coming. And I, you know, I just remember standing there and my twins were like rolling under dangerous furniture. And I said, <laughs> okay. I said, I, let me call, I'll call the woman and we'll just, we'll kind of, we'll go from there. And that's how it started. That was my very first client. And because she was local to me, I went to her home, you know, I was in the routine of doing home visits anyways. Uh, and she was so relieved because she wanted the privacy of being in her own home and not having to leave the house and mm -hmm. try to present anywhere before she was ready. And I saw her for several months and it was the best it was just the best experience. And I remember just saying to my husband, I could do this. Like, I really, really like this. Um, and she joked with me at the time, the client, and she said, you know, I've told all my people about you. <laughs> and she was like, -uh -uh. she said, you're, I hope you're ready for a full caseload. I was not ready for a full caseload at that point. And she said, hey, you know, you're, the, the word is out. And she was not wrong. I, my phone was ringing off the hook. And so the LLC that I had originally formed kind of just started being shaped into a voice practice. And at that time, I still had um, some other types of voice clients. I was seeing um, post-op um, voice clients for strengthening. And I had actually a very busy professor who taught way too many lectures in a row and was having some difficulty and also problems with her singing voice. And so I just started taking some voice clients, um, but it was still kind of a varied, well, varied within voice type caseloads. Um, and now it's now transgender or voice feminization is the only therapy I'm offering because it's just been so busy. I've just been overwhelmed with how underserved this population is and and how much there really is a need for quality services out there so that's that's how i've come to specialize and now i have you know my private practice is called musser voice and uh, it caters to the trans female population okay all right that's an excellent segue into kind of digging more deeper into that so, um, you know, our title is, you know, talking about it's it's more than pitch, like we're not just doing straight voice therapy or straight resonance therapy. There's so many more layers and avenues uh, to travel down. Um, and we talked about how, you know, it's a total communication package. It's it's not just how you sound it could be how you use your voice. But I mean, I don't do this therapy, so I'm just kind of talking the things that I've learned from you guys. So let me let me pass that baton back on to you. No, that's a great start. It it really is so much more than pitch. Um, you know, and a lot of the clients, that's their first thing that they want to address. And I get that. And that is usually the first thing we kind of start with is addressing pitch. But you know, when you look at the norms, female pitch to still be red as female can be quite low. I mean, I think of even just some of the young actresses 
like Jennifer Lawrence or Emma Stone, you know, they've got mm -hmm. these deeper female voices and yet nobody would argue that they're not feminine mm -hmm. because of all the other things. So I usually do start with pitch um, simply to try to help the client kind of target what would be reasonable. Um, and sometimes it's not what they're expecting and sometimes it's not what I'm expecting. Uh, but it really is just kind of finding out what do you want to sound like at the end of this? Um, and then also recognizing that that may very well change. <laughs> and it usually does. You know, there's quite an evolution sometimes with where we start and, and where we end up. But even just things like intonation and the pitch variability, you know, you take a phrase like, sure, that'd be fine. And men will have cis men will have a very reduced pitch range across a phrase. Um, the articulation maybe isn't precise, so you, maybe you'd hear that would be combined into thatted, you know, so you would mm -hmm. get sure that'd be fine from mm -hmm. a cis male speaker. But a female's gonna do so much more with that phrase. You're gonna get longer vowels, you're gonna get pitch variability, so you'd get sure that'd be fine. Yeah. Where you get literal pitch changes across the vowel sound and you've got I like to call them roller coasters where sure you know and that's an exaggerated example but you know that those are some of the things that we're working on because that's just not how they're speaking patterns and the, the prosody and the intonation and, and the word stress so these are all things that kind of have to be fleshed out um, mm -hmm. and it's really fun to work on it um, you know the vocabulary choices are different and just expressions and, you know, how animated we are both with the the pitch and intonation patterns we use, but also just, you know, how we'd say that like, oh, the puppy is adorable. That's not something that a cis male, it, that's just not typically in their repertoire. <laughs> so, you know, we're like, you know, practicing these things because, it doesn't come naturally in many cases or, you know, the differences have to be pointed out before you can kind of work on them. So I just find it, I find it really fun. That's fun work. And how do your clients shape how they want their voice to represent who they are? Um, like what I'm thinking is, you know, are, will somebody say, you know, Will they have an ideal and be able to say it's it's represented by maybe this person or this character in this movie kind of portrays the kind of um, like woman I, I, I am. Sure. And so that's what I'm shooting for. Do they kind of give you representations like that? Or um, if you start something and they're kind of like, oh, you know what? That's really that's not me. Like, how is yeah, that? Shape? That's a great question. I do ask if they have those voice ideals in their head just to see kind of what they gravitate towards sometimes they don't the clients don't know what they do want to sound like but they can tell you who they don't want to sound like mm -hmm. which is mm -hmm. yields just as much of information oh yeah um but you know oftentimes and you know these are these are things that i've just kind of learned as i've gone that sometimes the their ideal is to not sound super feminine they just want to pass or i have a client now that said look i i'm happy if i can just be androgynous and so we're working in a, a very general gender neutral pitch range because 
she doesn't need to sound very feminine, but I have some clients that do. They say, I, without a question of a doubt, I want my voice to be read as female, you know, 100% of the time. And so, you know, that kind of shapes where they go. So I always try to ask, you know, what is your ideal presentation? Where do you want to be? Because it's not just, just because they're doing voice feminization does not mean that maybe they want to sound super feminine and have a, a girly, you know, voice that everyone would say, oh yeah, that's super feminine sounding. So I just try to ask a lot of questions. Um, sometimes they don't know the answer and, and that's okay too. Sometimes it kind of evolves. Mm -hmm. I have a client that it's really important to her that even though she's adding all this pitch variability her sense of humor is such a big part of her identity, and she's worried that by being more, aw, I love the color that you chose for the kitchen wall, you know, she's worried that her humor will be lost because her humor is very dry and very sarcastic, and that kind of lends itself to a flatter intonation pattern. So she's kind of at this feeling a little bit at odds, like, am I going to lose that part of myself? So we're trying to kind of work through you know, what do you want to sound like? How much of, you know, your current masculine voice is okay for you to have, you know, kind of carry into it. And it's just, it's so different for everyone, which is why I think it's fascinating work. But um, I do just try to prepare them for the fact that this may change. You know, you may be smack dab at your perfect ideal target pitch and you may hate it. And we may just kind of go back and figure out what's going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really does sound and like a like a very much a journey and that everyone's journey is going to be very unique, very distinct. They're going to have different desires for their voice or their presentation to to be congruent. And that, I think, is probably what makes our job so interesting just across the board, just outside of even voice therapy, you know, and and all the other types of um, clients and patients that we work with. You know, I'm thinking of like aphasia, you know, if someone has a stroke like there's so many different levels or severities of stroke. And then the location that the stroke occurs affects people differently too. And then it'll be all different parts of the brain that has all different kinds of results. So you might get, oh, here's another post-stroke patient with aphasia, but they're going to be so different from your other patient yeah. who's also had a stroke and presenting with aphasia. And exactly. yeah, that's a really fun aspect of our well, field. Right? Yeah. And that's a really good point because- you know, just like you would assess somebody and find out how many months out they are from the stroke, that's what we're doing here too. It's where are you in your journey? Have you started hormone replacement therapy? Are you doing laser? A lot of my clients are still in a 100% male role. They go to work every day as Bob and the only time that they're working or even acknowledging the side of them is when, you know, they're in with their counselor or meeting with me. And so, you know, it's just such a big spectrum of where are you in this journey and where do you want to be? And, you know, that's going to affect how how we carry on, you know, whereas some of my clients are, no, I've transitioned. I've done the legal paperwork. Um, you know, my my office had a big HR meeting. My name badge has changed. Everybody's addressing me by my feminine name with the proper pronouns. And now I just need the voice to match. And so it's just, I never know, like I, I, 
I see these clients now. I'm, so I should clarify, I'm not no longer doing home visits. I see everybody online. So telepractice. And, you know, it's I flip open the lid for my webcam and I wait to see who's, you know, on the other side. And so you, I just never know. I never mm-hmm. know until I ask. And, you know, I can't go by how they present on the other side of the camera. I have to go by who they are and what they tell me and how they're feeling and just yeah. kind of start from there. So what I'm hearing is um, the person that you may be looking at on your screen may visually, you think, appear to be a man or to be masculine. Correct. But you are calling them by their feminine name and referring to them with their female pronouns that they have already discussed with you and told you that is how you can address them. Yep. That's yeah. that's absolutely right. So, I mean, just from the intake paperwork from the very beginning, I say, you know, usually they give legal name and then I have a spot on the form for, you know, what's your preferred name and what are your preferred gender pronouns? So I have some clients that I'm calling them by their masculine name and using male pronouns because they have not transitioned. Um, and so it, it's actually kind of a, a big percentage of my clientele right now is um, they're still in a 100% masculine role. And what they have explained is, look, so much of this process is passive. I have to wait for a certain amount of months of counseling. I have to wait for the HRT, hormone replacement therapy, to kick in. You know, I'm in between laser appointments. I'm just waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I want my voice. I want to I want to do something while I'm waiting. This is an active thing that I can be working on so that when everything else, you know, is ready, my voice will be ready to go. And so I think that's kind of a neat way to approach it too, like let's work on this behind the scenes, Bob, you know, and then when you're ready to transition, you're ready to go. So it's just it really is so varied and you know, it's just it's so neat to see where everybody is and, and where they want to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does sound cool. Um, okay. So next question for you. Um, tell me a little bit more about indirect communication. Um, when we're working with voice, there's direct, indirect, and counseling aspects. And so I just want to jump right into indirect if you're ready. Sure. So, and we started to touch on this uh, before, but for me, it's been fascinating kind of digging into even some of the older literature in terms of just understanding some of the gender differences about how we communicate. And every time I read certain things, I just, I go, yes, that's right. (laughs) And I have to like, you know, stop and think so that I can acknowledge the differences so that I can be better informed to explain what they are. So there's actually this big body of literature on communication differences Um, One of the authors I've been reading a lot of, her name is Robin Lakoff, and she did a lot of work in the 1970s on women in communication. And the differences between the genders has been really fascinating. And I mean, I would encourage anybody to read it just because you read it and go, oh, yeah, I would say that, but maybe my husband would never say it like, you know, and it's just these different communication styles. So, you know, some examples, cis women in groups of conversation, for example, um, we seek agreement and we want to claim common ground with our conversational mm-hmm. partners. So we say mm-hmm. things like, don't you think? Mm-hmm. And so we'll make a statement and say, what do you think? Isn't that right? And kind of just 
try to feel out where people are. Well, when you study male communication, cis male communication patterns, that's not seen. Um, women are also known to maybe think think out loud, process externally to arrive at a conclusion, and maybe they'll gather input from their other conversational partners. And you'll kind of hear, even if it's something as simple as, where should we eat tonight? Oh, I don't know. That place didn't, the service wasn't so great the last time we went. Or we could try this place. And it's like this out loud process that males just don't exhibit. They will process internally, arrive at a decision, and then you get to hear the decision. Oh my gosh, that's what drives me crazy about my husband. I mean, I think people have struck it rich, right? On the (laughs) men are from Mars, women, or whatever the planet differences are in that book. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it really is. You could have like a million memes coming out of some of these gender differences because they're so relatable. Once you see them, you go, yes, that's, oh my gosh, I do that. Or he doesn't do that. And um, so these are all kind of things that, you know, I'm trying to kind of tease out and and in our sessions kind of call attention to like women tend to use and when i say women i am referring to cis or you know born female at birth so um yes i actually wanted to have you clarify if people haven't heard the term cis before or the the whole usage of the word could you just kind of break that down for people yeah, who might so, be hearing that for the first time yeah cisgender is the gender presentation that matches the sexual identity that that is at birth. So you'll hear the terms like female or assigned male at birth, assigned female at birth. So cis just refers to the biological, you know, makeup of that person in terms of their sexual identity. Um, So, you know, then when you add in the trans phrase, that's crossing that assignment into you know, the other gender. And then there's a whole other realm of non-conforming where they don't, you know, you'll hear non-conforming or non-binary where they Mm -hmm. maybe the person doesn't associate with either, either gender. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, one of the, you know, getting back to some of these communication differences, cis women tend to be more, they call it super polite forms. And it's because, in our communication, we don't want to offend the listener, cause confrontation. Um, we want everything to be kind of smooth and easy and, and not make our listeners feel threatened, which is, a, which is a, just a cultural difference that, you know, they see between the two genders. So women say things like, would you mind if I just borrowed this chair? Right. You know, a, a, man, a man is going to say, not using this. Taking, it's mine. Yeah, I'm, I'm taking, taking it. You know, sure. if, if it's not too much to ask or, oh, I hate to bother you with that. Are you sure it's okay? And it's just a way to not be confrontational or not be seen as like direct, directly threatening or, or saying anything that would potentially upset people. So, you, you know, you just see these more polite forms of may I and um, things that soften the intensity of our statements. So, you know, all these little vocabulary choices are just to make what you're saying less direct. Um, so, you know, a great example would be a, a cis male saying, we need to talk. A mm. cis female would say, I wondered if I may have a word with you when you're free, if it's not too okay. much to ask, you know, and yeah. it's this, it's, it's just a much softer, indirect request to talk with that person. Um, 
And I just, I find those kind of things really fascinating. And so do the clients. They're like glued to every example going, oh my gosh, my sister does that. Now I get it. You know, or they like, you know, realize these examples are like, you know, they've seen them and. And you know what's so funny to me is like hearing you give these examples is really enlightening. And I'm like, yep, 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 yep. But they chafe me. Like as a cis woman, like I'm just like, oh, they drive me crazy. Yeah, why are you apologizing for that, right? (laughs) Yes. It's like you need something, just go say, hey, if you're not using this, I'm going to take this chair now. Like I just, oh, like even me, I just, I cringe with gender expectations with communication as well. And I have all these theories about all kinds of things. And I'm just so over these really tightly bound gender expectations. I know. You would probably really like Dr. Lakoff's work then because, you know, I think that was really what she was getting at. It's like, what? (laughs) You know, look at these differences. Why are we doing this? We've positioned ourselves, you know, at a subservient level in culture. Yes. Uh, Break free from that, sister. (laughs) Right? (laughs) And it's not like, okay, just like take out those things and just talk like a man. Like, no, just say what you need to, however you want to. Right. Like, don't try to be something else that's out there. Just I know. know what you don't like and then figure out what you do and do that. <laughs> so, it, so it's a real balance, right? Because for the trans woman who just wants to blend and doesn't want anybody questioning her presentation or her voice, she's she's going to want, you know, a lot of the clients say, just tell me what to say. I'd rather blend in and just, you know, be read female and, and be more indirect with my communication. And then some clients say what you were kind of getting at, like, no, I'm not going (laughs) to, I'm not going to apologize for taking a chair nobody's using. And if I have to get by you, I'm going to say, can you move? I need to get through. Not, hey, in a few minutes, do you mind? I'm going to have to kind of slide over you because I'm going to have to take him to the bathroom. But would you mind terribly if you just save my seat? Because we're going to come back. You know, it's, it's like whole indirect thing of just saying, I need to get by you. Save my seat, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it's, but, you know, we still are talking about these things because they want and need to blend. And these are ways that they can do it. So what I kind of present then are some education on the differences and some suggestions. And I say, see what you're comfortable with. See what's going to fit with your personality. See see what you would be comfortable adding to your current communication or taking away. So mm-hmm. if that means still being, you know, as direct, but adding in softer vocabulary like women use all these softening modifiers like oh i'll just have a tad bit more and ooh it's a, it's a little bit spicy could you just mm, add some water to this you know just adding in some different vocabulary maybe is better or easier or feels more natural than you know changing you know some of the other Oh, type yeah. of conversation strategy. Yeah. I remember some of my favorites that examples you were giving were like teensy weensy itty bitty. Yeah. Like, you know, a cis male will say little or small. Right. And we'll say itty bitty, teensy weensy, things like that. Right. And yeah. then there's that other stereotype that men only see like five colors or something. And we have words for like the spectrum. Yes. <laughs> the color That's is obviously periwinkle. <laughs> exactly. I think those are really kind of neat to tease out because it ends up, it's a nice, if clients are feeling tense or nervous about the session, 
teaching them petal pink and periwinkle and a nice shade of lavender, it it provides some humor and just kind of a brain break because a lot of the things that we're doing are just so motor intensive in terms of like getting their voice to do these things. And, you know, sometimes we'll just kind of take a break and I'll say, okay, let's talk about some vocabulary differences. And they are like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know, and I say, well, you know, women swear a lot less than than males. And I noticed that you're cussing a lot. <laughs> like we may need to kind of like rethink that a little bit. Um, or just adding, you know, the intensifying modif modifiers. And I just always laugh because I think if my husband ever said, so cute or really mad, I would go, are you feeling okay? I mean, you don't, like, you're not going to say extremely, you know, those are words that, you know, I'm probably just not going to hear. Mm -hmm. But it's, again, if it's a vocabulary choice that they feel they can add in, We'll talk about the moss greens and the the petal pinks mm -hmm. um, and the, you know, lengthening vowels and doing so mad or, you know, some of those like little words, tiny bit or I suppose so. And the psychological verbs are a fun one to talk about. You know, we, we use I statements. You know, we're taught to do that. I remember being in a health class, express your feelings by saying, I feel upset when... I, I remember that specifically, but that's also one of the, you know, gender differences in communication as we use, cis women use a much greater psychological verbs like I feel, I think, I believe, I hope, um, all things relating to more the emotional state of the intent of the message. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, just providing some of those examples and kind of talking about how that can kind of soften and, and it all plays into, you know, and I, I tell clients all the time, you can not get away with, but don't worry so much about the pitch. If everything else is feminine in presentation, and I'm not talking about visual, but just, you know, your word choices, how you're interacting with people, a lower voice is not going to make listeners go, oh, that's a man speaking. Mm -hmm. I don't, yeah. Mm -hmm. So I say, if you know, if we can get a a couple of these things all working to your advantage, you'll be in good shape. It's not just the pitch. And sometimes, yeah. you know, a lot of the clients try to overshoot that because I think, you know, the first thing that they, anyone knows to do is, oh, I need to talk in a higher voice. But it, sometimes I get clients that are, you know, they, they have the Minnie Mouse voice. It's really high. It's monotone at a high pitch. It doesn't sound natural. And they're like, you know, they're using their app saying, I'm speaking at 220. I don't understand why everyone still thinks I'm a man. And I just sound like a man with a higher voice. You know, what am I doing wrong? And it's like, well, that's, let's talk about that. <laughs> Let, let's address, you know, all those things. So it it's never a dull session, put it that way. <laughs> Hey, did you know that you can earn CEUs on a cruise? The 2020 Conference at Sea with SpeechTherapyPD.com is from July 10th to July 17th, 2020. You can earn 12 hours of continuing education while enjoying the scenic views of the Alaskan coast. 
if you register for the cruise before September 30th, 2019, you will receive a special free six-month SLP Now subscription and a one-year premium, they call it professional subscription, to SpeechTherapyPD.com when you pay for the cruise CEU portion. So it's all included. It's amazing. You're getting 12 CEUs at sea. You're going on a cruise. You're getting access to an entire year of amazing pod courses and video courses and six months of the SLP Now subscription. So it's like tons of amazing stuff, you guys. Um, The Royal Caribbean's Radiance of the Seas sails around trip from Vancouver, BC on July 10th, 2020 for the seven-day trip that stops in six awe-inspiring Canadian and Alaskan locations before returning to port on July 17th. So join me, Michelle and Marisha, my other podcast hosts, as we balance excellent CEU opportunities with some sweet vacay time on a very large boat. Be sure to visit speechtherapypd.com slash cruise to learn more and sign up. I'll see you there. Oh, yes. All the fun, all the things that you can kind of unravel, unwind, and it is. So it also sounds like just a lot of education and like presenting information and then um, giving clients the space to decide like what is and isn't appropriate for how they um, choose to present or what's congruent with their identity. So I like that. I'm, yeah, exactly. I'm really all about empowering people to make those decisions for themselves. And the way to do that is by having all the information, having the facts so that you can, you can decide yay or nay, what will or won't work, what needs to be modified or changed a little bit to better suit you. And um, it must be really rewarding, like working with people um, and problem solving and getting them to where they want to be. Yeah, absolutely. It, you know, we, we are therapists by nature, but we are educators. You know, I yes, I teach in a classroom, but I think what you just said is that's hitting the nail on the head. I'm going to empower you and give you good, solid, evidence-based information. Here it is. I can help you learn to apply it. And, and what you choose from this list of suggestions it is completely up to you, but I'm here to help you, you know, give the good information. I call it good mm-hmm. intel and, and let them kind of see what they gravitate towards. Um, let's talk about some of the resources that you have available. Yeah, great. So um, the easiest off the top of my head is my website. So musservoice.com is uh, the site that I use uh, for my private practice. And one of the things, you know, to your question about resources is I started realizing there are not great resources for the clients out there. So on the client side, um, I really think having access to, to good information is really important. I started realizing through my clients that there's not good intel out there, or at least not enough of it. Um, so I've recently started a membership site that if clients are not ready to join me for private sessions or or anyone for that matter, but they still want to start kind of learning about these things, I, I tried to just take everything that I do in sessions or everything that I have in my head and package it in a way that someone could say, wow, I'm not out yet. I'm not ready to tackle this, but I, I want to learn more about it. Uh, I have lessons, Um, through this membership site where you could just, you know, a la carte, 
pick some lessons and, and learn different components to this, um, or you can sign up for you know live sessions. So I think that that's a really nice resource to give to give clients. Um, on the professional side of resources, I think this is such a growing area. I'm seeing a lot more um, ASHA sponsored things. So I've I have done at least one, if not well, one live webinar through ASHA, and then there's quite a few research articles that they have bundled together in like a SIG. Uh, special interest group where you can do some self-study with um, those types of research articles. Um, I, there's some conferences that even I'm hoping to attend um, where it the focus is on, you know, this voice feminization and hearing from people that do this all day long. You know, it's just, it's such a growing and evolving area of our field that um, I think those types of things would be good. And I think uh, we'll share those mm, links. Yeah. Uh, with all the listeners, yeah, correct? Those yeah. links will be in the um, show notes at speechuncensored.com. Great. The the one of the websites that I have used quite a bit is we have a World Professional Association for Transgender Health, and the acronym is WPATH. Um, and their site has really great resources for you know everyone, both parents, educators, clinicians, clients, medical health professionals working with this population. And so uh, they've been a really great resource as well. Excellent. Good. Yep. And that'll, that'll be in the show notes for sure. Um, well, okay. Did you have any other resources you wanted to tell people about before we go to our last segment? I think that covers it. And if, if I'm forgetting any, then they're in the show notes, right? right? We'll circle back. Always check the show notes. Those will hopefully be updated. Show notes is where it's at. And yep. The links will work. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Um, okay. So then my last question for you is, um, do you have any words of wisdom, uh, some lessons learned, or just some tips that you want to share with our listening audience? Sure. One of them, just to kind of circle back to our earlier conversation is you can do and make your career look like anything you want it to do. Don't be scared to change. Again, my patchwork quilt was never what I expected. I thought, you know, out of graduate school, I was just going to do voice in an ENT practice for the rest of my life. And then when I did a PhD, I thought I'm going to get a tenure track position and teach full time and keep on with my research. And it was neither of those things. And here I am with, you know, a private practice that's, you know, busy. I'm still teaching on the side. So I love that about our field that you can, you can do anything and don't be scared to change gears. Uh, I think it, it's good for us uh, to grow in other areas and, and just explore new things. If you're feeling like it's time for a change, then change. You know, birth to geriatric population is all in our wheelhouse, mm -hmm. right? Um, one of the other things, and, you know, for you graduate students that might be listening, I say this to all my graduate students, and I'm expecting some, like, cringes, you know, that I probably can't see, but maybe I can feel, <laughs> is you can run, but you can't hide from anatomy and physiology. <laughs> I know. I just, I just killed the listener reviews, right? Because nobody wants to hear that. And I did not want to hear that either. Um, but again, if you told me as a graduate student that I'd later be teaching A&P, I would have 
died laughing because I was terrible. Oh my gosh. Well, let me, I take that back. I was excellent at memorizing Mm. what I Mm. needed to. And, you know, the cranial nerve acronyms and the insertion and the origin. I mean, I had that, those puppies down pat for that semester. And then I got out working and went, oh, that's why, (laughs) that's why I had to do this. But I never, it never really clicked. And so what, in whatever area, you know, sometimes people think, oh, you only need to know that if you're doing swallowing or A and P is only important if you're doing neuro or voice or any of the more medical topics. Mm. But that is no. not true. It, you need no to know speech. and have a solid foundation of what you're doing. Language. Oh, no. Yeah. Every, yeah, it's important, y'all. And you know what? I totally disregarded it, it too. It's important. I was like, oh. I t- I'm the first yeah. to admit it. I was, I was a great memorizer, but I didn't get it. I really didn't get it. And now that I teach it, I teach, teach A&P with that in mind because – I mean, if somebody had just explained it in the way that, like, it finally clicked for me, I would have been awesome at AFP. <laughs> I would have really done a great job. I would not have killed myself before an exam. But I really feel like the foundation, you've got to understand what you're doing and and why to be able to put it, of course, in layman's terms for the client, but to know what you're doing. I just, you know, I think sometimes there's a disconnect between and, and I was right there myself. Uh, you know, I learned it in school and then I went out and, you know, I'm doing video stroboscopy going, oh, okay. That's why the branches of the vagus nerve are so important because the ENT is going, okay, so what are you seeing here and how does that correlate neurologically? Uh, you know, you don't want the crickets to come in and you're like trying to remember what your index cards from grad school said. You just have to know mm-hmm. it. But if you understand it, then you don't have to memorize yeah. it. You just know yeah. it. So yeah, you can run, but you can't hide. (laughs) All right, Joy, this was so enlightening and inspiring and just really exciting to learn about this growing area in our field that I feel like as speech and language pathologists, we have the, the background knowledge of the anatomy and the neurology, you know, that could play a part in this as well. Not the neurology, just in like the motor connections with the brain, not in like other aspects of it. Um, I gotcha. But you can't just, if you're like, oh, I know those things. Oh, I treat voice. I can just jump right in with this population. Like I would say not so much, like pump the brakes. There's a lot more um, education and awareness and information that you need to know and being culturally sensitive and aware to these things would make you an appropriate clinician to work with this population. So thanks for coming on and sharing that and sharing that path that you took to, to get there, to do all this work and right. Um, yeah. Kind of. Yeah. That it, that's it. I'll stop talking now. <laughs> Just keep going. Thank you so much for having me. That was really fun to, to talk about all these things and, you know, I'm passionate about it and I wouldn't do it if I didn't love it. So it's, it's really fun for me. It's like, one of those jobs that, you know, you just go, I do this because I Mm. love it truly. And it's just, it's been really fun. So you got to love what you do or what's the point. Truth. Truth. All right. Thank you so much. If you want to keep earning CEUs for listening to your favorite podcast, then use my coupon code SUP. That's S U P 
at speechtherapypd.com for $10 off a year's subscription. You can earn countless hours of podcast and video CEUs for only $79 a year through speechtherapypd.com. You know December is coming and you've got to get your CEUs in before the end of the year. So sign up now for the lowest price point for audio and video CEUs available on the market. If you're feeling fancy, you can get $10 off the premium subscription, which drops it down to $179 for the year. And that's access to every single thing, all the content that's on speechtherapypd.com. And there's some quality stuff on there, you guys. So go check it out and don't miss this deal. Remember, coupon code SUP for a year's worth of CEUs for 79 bucks. Mega thanks to Joy for sharing her experience and encouragement with us. Check out the show notes at speechuncensored.com for some excellent resources Joy gathered for interested parties to learn more. Hey friends, be one of the first 50 people to leave a hopefully positive review on iTunes and be entered to win a professional subscription to speechtherapypd.com where you can participate in the live airing and question and answer feature weekly. Plus, you'll have access to all the amazing video and pod course library on speechtherapypd.com. So leave a review and then email me a screenshot at speechuncensored at gmail.com. More details are on the website with the show notes, so you can also go there and check out some more details. And I look forward to being entertained by your reviews. So dazzle me. (laughs) Next week, Megan Sutton is on the podcast. For real this time. On episode five with Book Richardson, I got all mixed up and said Megan would be episode six. That was obviously a lie and I apologize. (laughs) But for real, Megan Sutton, creator of Tactus Therapy, is definitely on the next episode. Most likely. So get out there and be the awesome SLP that you are. Add a new skill and a new insight to your practice, little bit by little bit, and see the amazingness that will spring forth. Thanks for nourishing your brain with me today. Now go flourish. Thanks for listening.